Rose, Gary Cachulio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cachalillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to this show, who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Joseph Simkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, root worker, and witch. You find her at MsAida.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A.com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And Ginger is a tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer. And you can find her at TarotByGinger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Paul Smith. And he has an upcoming book on the... Nixon, Jackie Gleason, Alien Encounter. Thank you for coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. So this is one of my favorite stories. Um, could you just give a, you know, a bit of an overview of what the story is? Sure. On the Internet, you've probably seen this, folks, and some of it is a little polluted with misinformation. But I'm trying to get to the facts in my latest book, and it all began... Uh, really in uh, 1974, a year after the event happened. And that's when Jackie Gleason's wife, Beverly, uh, gave an interview to the National Enquirer. And she said most candidly, uh, do you know my husband said that he was out at Homestead Air Force Base in Southern Miami, and he told me Nixon showed him some extraterrestrial bodies. Well, Jackie read this in the Enquirer, and he just blew up. He was very angry, told her to keep her mouth shut. <laughs> You're not to talk about this. And they, uh, they asked Gleason, is this a true story? What is about this? And he refused to answer. He could have easily said, this is a lot of nonsense. Mm -hmm. Don't even ask me this. I'll just tell you right now, it's a bunch of bunk. But he refused to dignify it with any sort of negative remark. Or a positive one. He just said, I have no comment on this story. He was not the type to lie. Uh, he really was a very candid man. Uh, I've, I've read biographies, and they said he didn't make up a bunch of tall tales. And even when intoxicated, um, he wasn't the greatest joke writer. He had to have help from his um, writers just to create stand-up jokes. His, mm -hmm. his uh, forte was sketch comedy and even singing, dancing, playing the trumpet. Uh, and, of course, who can forget um, Ralph Cramden and Ed Norton from The Honeymooners. Mm -hmm. So uh, this uh, story kind of laid low for another nine years. And Beverly Gleason decided, I'm going to write a tell-all book. She was now Mrs. Uh, the ex-Mrs. Gleason. And she uh, said, I'm going to write a book, maybe make me a little money. And she'll start by promoting this book with a full-page article in The Inquirer about uh, what Jackie told her when they were married. And she wrote the article herself. And this came out in 1983. And she wrote more at length, saying Jackie came home one night shaken, upset. His face was ashen. He looked haggard. And she said, uh, this was close to midnight. What's going on? Where have you been? And he blurted out, I've just seen the bodies of dead aliens at Homestead Air Force Base. President Nixon showed them to me. 
And he started smoking and drinking, as he usually did anyway, unfortunately. But uh, he was really shook up. She said not only that night, for days and days afterwards, he would be furious at the government for keeping this information from the public, what he saw. Hmm. And then he would be uh, change his mood and get giddy and excited because I'm the only one that got to see this. He was a private citizen, had no military background, no intelligence, no government access whatsoever. And Nixon took him into his confidence. And I'll get into uh, why Nixon would do such a thing in a minute. Well, the article came out and that blew the story up sky high. And people started asking Jackie all over again, what's with this story? Your wife is telling details now. And he chewed her out over the phone again, said, I told you not to talk about this. And he refused comment again. And he never spoke about it, apparently, the rest of his life. A few UFO researchers may be making up some tall tales there when they say, Jackie told me everything. But he was furious that the story ever got out, and he would refuse comment the rest of his life. In 2003, uh, the, the ex-Mrs. Gleason was interviewed. Very rare. She didn't like to give interviews. And she never wrote that tell-all book uh, to uh, a UFO researcher named Kenny Young, who's since passed away. Mm -hmm. And she reiterated everything she said. I said, I take nothing back. Uh, she didn't change anything. She held to her story that Jackie came home one night, February 19th, a Monday night in 1973, and said that the president of the United States that she had met uh, through Jackie previously took him to this uh, Air Force base, which is about 30 miles south of Miami, which is where Jackie lived. He lived in uh, Louder Hill, a suburb of Miami. And he was hosting this big golf tournament at the time in 1973, invited all his celebrity friends, and President Nixon landed on the golf course in a helicopter and got out, and Jackie picked him up in a golf cart, and they drove around talked to the media, and uh, Nixon contributed a check to charity in front of the cameras, gave a little speech, and then got back in the golf cart, and Jackie drove him back to his helicopter. So there's a myth about this story that says uh, Nixon showed up one night at his door that he drove over 40 miles in the dark from his Key Biscayne home to Jackie's home in Louder Hill, and that's nonsense. Mm -hmm. uh, Nixon did not escape his Secret Service. However, I feel it's extremely likely Nixon got in his helicopter. He had a helipad right behind his Key Biscayne home. He took it all the time, back and forth, from Key Biscayne to Homestead Air Force Base. And from there, he would take uh, Air Force One back to Washington, D.C., or wherever he was going. So it uh, happened even that afternoon that Nixon and his pilot knew exactly where to go, where to set down. They knew the coordinates right behind Jackie's home on a golf course. They had a helipad. So that's how I think Nixon could have come and got him, picked him up, and they flew over there, probably took about 20 minutes or less, and landed at the Air Force Base. And according to Mrs. Gleason, this was uh, high security that Jackie said they were met by security guards who were armed, mm -hmm. and they escorted the president and Jackie to a remote part of the base. And there was an armed guard at the door of this laboratory, and they went inside and saw... Uh, things not from this world. What they saw, according to Beverly, were four dead extraterrestrial bodies about two feet tall, maybe a little over that, with big ears, big eyes, 
And uh, she didn't apparently say what skin color they were. Hmm. But if you know anything about UFOs, that description matches almost perfectly the 1955 Hopkinsville, Kentucky UFO uh, attack or uh, alien, you know, assault on this farm family. Mm -hmm. uh, they had big ears and big eyes and were about two feet tall. They were like little uh, dwarf aliens or something. So uh, that could have been that race. So Jackie said he saw this and it was just a gas. He thought maybe they had been embalmed. And uh, I doubt if he was allowed to touch them, but he mm -hmm. saw it up close on four different examining tables he did not describe any injuries to these creatures, and uh, Beverly wrote about this in her article and reiterated it in 20, or 2003. So uh, after the tour was over, Jackie said he was sworn to secrecy, which he immediately violated that night by blurting it out to his wife. She wanted to know. She thought he was sick or had been attacked or something. He had left the house without telling her. So I think he just walked over to this uh, landing pad on the Inverary Golf Course behind their home, where they were holding a tournament that very afternoon. And uh, they took off and came back. And that's how uh, Jackie showed up at the house near midnight, really shook up. And he didn't work in the movies for years. This affected him pretty gravely. Hmm. Why would Nixon do this? Why, okay. why, why did Nixon yeah. want to show Jackie Gleason This is a aliens? big national security breach, how you could show a civilian like this. First, uh, it was Jackie's birthday in just like a week or so. Mm -hmm. What do you get for the man who has everything? Jackie always badgered people he knew in positions of power about the extraterrestrial issue. He was just obsessed with this subject. He wanted to know everything. So uh, Nixon and Jackie had been friends since the early 60s. And they had been golf buddies, and undoubtedly, Gleason just kept after him. You know, tell me what you know. What does the government know, and what are they hiding? And he apparently said that uh, Nixon never told him until that night. But Nixon had a big problem. By February of 73, he was safely reelected, but his Watergate burglars had been sent to jail and were facing prison time and needed lawyers, and this was expensive, and some of them were blackmailing the president of the United States to come up with hush money, or they're going to tell all. And, of course, Nixon didn't want that. And on the Nixon tapes, he bugged himself in the White House. In January of 73, he is anguishing over the hush money. He says, this damn hush money, where are we going to get this money? And then I looked it up in a few weeks in March, after the, uh, the incident in February 19th, Nixon's calm as can be. And he says, you know, I know where we can get that. That's not a problem. So Jackie had this standing offer. He originally started out at $50,000 for anyone who can show me proof of extraterrestrial visitation. Over the years, he jacked that up to 500000 And since he was a multimillionaire and raked in $14 million per year, Jackie mm -hmm. just got crazy and said, I'll offer $1 million to anyone who can show me the proof of extraterrestrials. And what I think is... Nixon went for it. It's easy money. Just show him a few things, tell him next to nothing, and take him home. And uh, I believe, and I don't have the proof, that uh, Gleason wrote out a check maybe for a full million and uh, helped fund Nixon's uh, need for hush money for his Watergate burglars, which is a terrific story in itself. Uh, I admit I don't have the hard proof, but Jackie mm -hmm. and Nixon shared the same lawyer, Herbert Kalmbach. 
who got into trouble uh, of his own for being a bagman and delivering hush money to the Watergate burglars. Now, where did he get that cash? I think uh, Jackie probably contributed some of it under the table, off the record. That's the way Nixon went about that regularly with many contributors. So it starts to make sense that with his birthday coming up and Jackie kept badgering him for 10 years and he was offering a million dollars, Nixon took him up on it. That's my theory. Wow. Do you think that Nixon was the only president to know about the existence of extraterrestrials? Because it seems like around, I don't know, the time of like Carter, it seems like the order you used to pretend to not know anything. Yeah, uh, Carter gave a little speech during his campaign for president in 76 and said, I'm going to make all files open and available to the American public on UFOs because I've seen one. And mm-hmm. I know that uh, it's a great mystery. We all want an answer. As soon as he got sworn, apparently he was briefed a little and he clammed up fast. Yeah. He refused to say anything. So the event uh, timing is extremely suspicious of the Nixon Gleason alien encounter, February 19th. It was the exact 19th anniversary of the uh, Dwight Eisenhower 1954 uh, encounter with aliens at an Air Force base at night in secret, away from the press, exactly the same method of operation that Nixon used, as if he needed to be at Homestead Air Force Base to possibly update a treaty or try to uh, one-up his former boss, President Eisenhower. Nixon was his vice president in the 50s. So uh, it, it can't be a coincidence. And in between, I've discovered that on February 19th of 64, Uh, Lyndon Johnson was president then. He got on the phone and talked to Dwight Eisenhower and got on the plane and flew all the way out to Palm Springs to meet with him over the next couple of days, mostly in private, and there are big gaps in their schedule. So I I think that uh, this February 19th date is a significant one for at least 20 years. Uh, On uh, February 19th of 1974, Nixon left Key and went back to the White House and carried on a regular-looking schedule, nothing too shocking, uh, according to his digitized records. But the days before, he was in Key Biscayne, and very little was allowed to be recorded in his records. This was very, very unusual in looking through his digitized uh, appointment logs. There was like maybe a phone call allowed in on one day, and the next day, two phone calls. They wouldn't tell you where Nixon was. That would have been the 20th anniversary of the Eisenhower encounter, which I wrote about in my uh, book a couple of years ago, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, or President Eisenhower's Close Encounters. Hmm. Do you think that there was the, the Eisenhower made a treaty with extraterrestrials, and then like after that it was passed on to the Majestic Twelve, and then that's when presidents were no longer notified about the existence of extraterrestrials? It, it, yeah, it sounds pretty wild that you met with aliens, but apparently, according to an eyewitness who was there, I put it in my book, mm-hmm. uh, the aliens that Eisenhower met with were human-like. They were like cousins of human beings, slightly misshapen by our standards, a little shorter, maybe five feet, foot tall, and uh, they were very, very friendly. And I've been reading lately, scientists today think that... Um, uh, there are various human forms of uh, beings on other planets. It's speculative, but they said it makes perfect sense. There are a lot of Earth-like planets in the cosmos, and they feel like human life could have evolved exactly like it has here. 
And some of them would be more advanced than we are with space travel, and some would be less advanced, maybe in the caveman stage. But uh, the ones that are advanced, it seemed more and more plausible that they would come here. They spoke to Eisenhower about their uh, worries about atomic testing. They were really worried about setting off nuclear bombs in our air, our land, underground, and under the ocean. And they, according to the eyewitness in 54, this is what bothered them and caused them to come down and land at Edward, Edwards Air Force Base and speak in a friendly manner with Eisenhower, who came out to talk him very bravely, I think. Mm -hmm. And that went peacefully, but apparently there was a treaty created. Uh, in 2017, there was a document that leaked, and I put it in my book. And it uh, is from the Defense Intelligence Agency from January of 1989. It seems to be a briefing report for the new George H.W. Bush administration coming in. And it talked about the history of contact with extraterrestrials. And it mentions Eisenhower did meet with aliens uh, three times, the first in February of 1954, and that he did form a treaty. <laughs> and that uh, according to one witness who saw this treaty, a man named Don Phillips, who mm -hmm. worked for Skunk Works, uh, advanced aircraft in, uh, I think, uh, California, he said, I saw this document, and it said Eisenhower told the aliens, well, how can we stop you? You're so advanced. And he did agree to a treaty in which they would come down and land at a, uh, a secret Air Force base in Nevada and be supplied with some flora and fauna and scientific specimens. And in exchange, they would continue to uh, communicate with us in private and uh, give us a little technology. That was the basis of the treaty. One unfortunate and controversial basis of this treaty uh, scandal to some is that Eisenhower may have approved the picking up an examination of some Americans if it was done in a rural, quiet setting, and as long as the aliens put people back. And that treaty part may have been broken, or it's another race that's taking advantage of this, mm -hmm. abducting people, maybe extracting sperm or ovum, possibly creating a hybrid race, and there's not a whole lot we can do about it, frankly. You see story after story on this. It's not necessarily the same race that Eisenhower made a treaty with. Mm -hmm. They seem very friendly and uh, human-like and warm and kind. And they're concerned about our planet. But the ones you hear about that abduct people with the probes, and they're pretty cold-blooded and uh, scary, but they do put people back uh, with implants sometimes. I don't know if all of those stories are true, but even if some of them are, it is a little disturbing. But uh, that's not what Jackie Gleason saw or reported, and that's not what Eisenhower uh, encountered. He, he met with human-like ones. So it's... Um, a fascinating subject, and it's just uh, so exciting because here's the President of the United States and the world's most famous comedian, uh, Ralph Cramden, uh, getting together in private on a so-called golf vacation that Nixon was taking. That was Eisenhower's excuse in 54. Now, I made a list of 10 things, similarities between Eisenhower's trip to Palm Springs just to play golf, 2,700 miles from Washington. And then the real reason was to go to Edwards Air Force Base and meet these friendly beings from another world. So uh, Nixon used the same playbook, said he was going on a golf vacation. And he snuck out at night when the press wasn't around and uh, went to an Air Force Base and saw these extraterrestrial uh, 
creatures and maybe more that Jackie did not see. He was taken home in a helicopter, but it didn't say Nixon went with him. Hmm. So who knows what else Nixon was doing on that exact anniversary date, to probably the start of an important treaty, February 19th. That's a lot of meat on the bone there, yeah. Nixon yeah, sure get, 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 you know, get, getting some money to cover up his scandal. Yes. And, uh, and, you would have to have and some reason. Nixon being drunk. <laughs> yeah, let's go out to the Air Force Base. I think they were pretty sober, and Jackie could hold his booze pretty well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, again, he was deeply upset when he got back, and that's when his wife noticed that uh, he was serious about this. He had a library at home in uh, Homestead, uh, uh, I mean, at uh, Inverary Golf Course. They had a golf uh, course front home on the 18th hole and a big library with over 1,700 uh, books and periodicals on the paranormal, mostly UFOs. And that's all together to this day. It's been donated to the University of Miami. Mm-hmm. And you can go there to their reading room and see what Jackie was reading in those days. So uh, it's proof in the pudding that Jackie was obsessed, and this comes out in some of his uh, biographies. That Jackie had to know every last detail. He would call up authors of UFO books and quiz them, and then he'd call up some of the eyewitnesses and <laughs> talk to them. This is the Jackie Gleason. I'd sure like to hear your story. And he was just obsessed with getting that proof. He wanted it real bad, and I think he got it. I wonder why he was so shocked by it, though. Yeah. You know, after reading all those books, talking to all those people, yeah, that's right. how he could he still be shocked by it? Yeah, it still shocked the hell out of him. Uh, I guess for all these years building up, he got what he wanted, and it scared him. Uh, he was also angry. Uh, his wife made very clear that, I can't believe the government makes us sound like idiots for reporting these things, and that they're lying and saying we don't have any proof, and it doesn't happen. And he thundered about this for days, and uh, this is another sign that he wasn't joking around. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, sure is. <laughs> you know, when we were talking about you know, Eisenhower, the treaty, and this, there's yet another story that, that sort of also ties into the government thing, too, which is, you know, um, Valiant Thor and Stranger at the Pentagon. Yeah, I kind of have my doubts about that one. Do you? Uh, The story was passed along by Dr. Frank Stranges, and I read recently he served uh, like uh, about a year in prison for drug smuggling charges and that uh, some of the allegations don't hold up. Uh, I investigated that for my uh, Eisenhower book, and uh, the the date that... um, uh, Dr. Stranges gave for the alien landing in Virginia and was taken right to the Oval Office to meet the president, gave a specific date. Well, I looked it up in Eisenhower's digitized records. He was not even in the country at the time. He was on a, a ship uh, in the Caribbean. Oh, that is so a the story just, it just doesn't hold water for me. When you look online of Valiant Thor, there's all kinds of pictures of different men that they claim, this is Valiant Thor. No, that's Valiant Thor. And they're different men. And the story's kind of convoluted, and I just don't uh, put any stock in it, frankly. Hmm. So, so you know, it's interesting because, you know, I, it's one that I, I, I did originally dismiss it, too, completely. I said, there's, there's just no way. I didn't know about the information about the date, you know. Um, so that's really interesting. 
But I, you know, I've always just been curious because the. I mean, I guess it was. I considered it being possible. That it was real. And, and I read the book too, and the book actually had a you know a good message. Thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, it did well, and we're trying to entice uh, Hollywood producers types, and we've been in contact with some. But the problem is you'd have to recreate the 40s, the 50s, the hairstyles, the clothes, the cars, uh, and that would cost a lot. And then you'd need special effects for the alien ships and the alien beings. And this is uh, racking up into a kind of Steven Spielberg major, major production. So uh, the story may not get made for TV or for the uh, cinema, unfortunately. Uh, I'm hoping this um, Nixon book will help to uh, add to the puzzle and uh, intrigue some more people. So far, it's not looking too good. Uh, Eisenhower is not maybe that well known with young people today, and maybe even Nixon isn't. Uh, happily, Jackie Gleason remains pretty popular <laughs> with the Honeymooners. Uh, I'll point out, in 1955, there was an episode where uh, Jackie has to go, as Ralph Grandin, to a, a costume party. And so everyone's got a costume. He says, I'm going to make my own costume. And he comes out of the bedroom uh, with all these knobs and shiny metal on. And they say, who are you supposed to be? And he says, I am the man from space. He tried to pass himself off as an alien to go to the big costume party. That's how obsessed he was with this subject, <laughs> even back in the day. Uh, did you know, I'm sure you have heard, and your uh, your viewers are known, that uh, Jackie had a special spaceship house built just outside of New York City. Uh, they call it the UFO house or spaceship house in Peekskill, New York. Mm -hmm. And it's perched not too far from the edge of a kind of cliff where these big uh, bay windows look out, and it's like you're standing in a spaceship looking out over uh, the valley below with New York City in the, in the distance. And Jackie packed it with uh, telescopes and a Tesla coil, which he believed, and it might be true, that Nikola Tesla attempted to contact extraterrestrials with mm -hmm. this thing. And he also was crazy about ham radios, and they said Jackie had like over a dozen ham radio sets. When he went big for something, he went really big. He was a larger-than-life character in every way. So uh, they feel that Jackie was maybe trying to contact aliens. He was certainly listening into pilots and probably the space program when he had these ham radios in his house in southern uh, Miami, not far from Cape Canaveral. And uh, he had them in his uh, UFO house, I'm pretty sure, and he had uh, guests come over, and they would all marvel at it. It was a party house, but he didn't actually live there. The funny thing is, when he was there staying overnight, he'd leave the house, walk across the yard, and go to sleep in a regular house <laughs> in its bedroom. Uh, so Jackie had this enormous expense. It took, like, um, from the spring of 54 to 59 to get it finished, and apparently Nixon was one of his guests and went to that UFO house before Jackie sold it in 1964 and moved to Miami. Hmm. Uh, it's interesting to know that Jackie got this burr in his bonnet to do this in the weeks or months after the Eisenhower encounter of 1954, which was held in an Air Force base hangar 
uh, Eisenhower stood on the edge of the hangar and the aliens landed on a, uh, on the runway. Well, where did Jackie insist on having his house built in an airfield hangar? And it was brought over in pieces and put together on this property. It's weird, but it kind of makes sense that he may have heard about the Eisenhower encounter. And that's mm -hmm. what spurred the whole thing. He had to have it custom built in an airplane hangar. Just mm -hmm. kind of like Eisenhower met with alien beings, or so he heard. Uh, Jackie was in contact with Frank Edwards, the famous radio broadcaster of his day. And Edwards did report in the spring of 54, I've heard this story that Eisenhower went to Edwards Air Force Base and met with friendly aliens. And Frank Edwards was soon fired <laughs> after that uh, revelation on the air. What a coincidence, huh? Mm -hmm. Afterwards, you know, like, like you say, like, like Jackie Gleason didn't talk about this story or, or, you know, comment on it. Did he still continue his interest in UFOs after that, or did he Apparently stop? So, uh, there was a question on uh, early 1970s Hollywood Square, and they asked Paul Lynn, uh, what did Jackie Gleason see uh, on a beach in Miami, according to an interview in TV Guide? And uh, Paul Lynn made a joke, but the answer was a UFO. Uh, Gleason had told TV Guide that he finally got to see a flying saucer while walking on a beach in Miami. Now, that may have been a separate incident, or that may have been his way of relating the, uh, the Nixon encounter in a most uh, shaded view where he would not may get into trouble. So as far back as the mid-50s, Jackie was talking to TV Guide in an interview then and said, I haven't seen a UFO. But I admit, I'm fascinated by it. So something spurred his interest, and he just blew up with it. He went big time. As they say, he went viral with it, practically, and would call in um, a New York City radio show in the middle of the night. Um, it was uh, uh, Long John Nabel at a paranormal radio show. He was like the Art Bell of his day. And Jackie would call in with questions or even act as a guest. And you can hear some of their recordings. Uh, the recordings are a pretty poor sound quality, but mm -hmm. you can find them online to this day. And Jackie's talking to Frank Edwards and some others about what they think is real and some UFO stories they think could be real and others that he uh, is a skeptic of. He didn't believe everything he heard. Uh, in particular, uh, the Adamski claims, George Adamski wrote a book in the mid-50s and Jackie didn't believe it, neither do I that Adamski met with aliens in the desert and took off to Venus and went to Venus to see their home planet. And of mm -hmm. course, when you read up about Venus, it's got an atmospheric pressure 92 times planet Earth. It is like uh, 500 or more degrees on the surface. And we've got uh, some, um, uh, uh, what do they call, satellite uh, was launched called the Viking in the 1970s. And it went to Venus and it recorded photographs. And there's nothing there but uh, rocks and dust. There's no civilization whatsoever on Venus. Couldn't possibly uh, be hospitable to any life form, frankly. So Adamski's story doesn't hold water. And I always chuckle when I hear someone said, uh, I'm from Venus or uh, my space friends were from Venus. And that's where... Uh, Dr. Frank Stranges said Valiant Thor was from Venus and yes. that was another thing that just kind of killed it for me. 
Hmm. So, did Jackie Gleason or or Eisenhower or Nixon any of them ever give any hint to where these extraterrestrials come from? No, precisely what planet? No, they did not. I'm frustrated by that. It would certainly make the story more researchable if they could name a uh, a star system mm-hmm. or an actual planet or what their race was called. And unfortunately, I have not been able to learn that. Uh, you may have seen, and your viewers may have seen, a 1954 Army Special Operations Manual 1-01, in which it is confirmed that there are four different races visiting planet Earth, and one of them are human-like, and that they said they were about five feet tall and had uh, no real hair, just a little scruff on the top of their heads, and a somewhat maybe grayish-yellow skin tone, but they looked a good deal like us. And I feel like that April 54 uh, summary in that uh, manual was a description of the uh, aliens that Eisenhower met in uh, February 19th of that year, just uh, like uh, two months later that manual came out. So that gives us uh, one description and another are of these gray creatures that we uh, hold so dear, Mm -hmm. the grays with the big black eyes and the big bulbous heads. Uh, that may have been first seen in my hometown of Cape Girardeau, Missouri, in April of 1941, uh, when my grandfather was a judge in town, and people said, this really happened. Uh, They crashed, and three bodies were pulled from the wreckage, and uh, one of them was still barely breathing, and then he died on the ground, and the Army came in and said, you will never speak of this again. It's a matter of national security. Put down that debris. You will not write about this. This will not show up in the papers. And a careful survey uh, of the papers, they're digitized, I've been over them and over them. They didn't write about it, they held up to their promise. They knew the government would come down on them pretty hard. But I think that may have been the first real uh, UFO crash and real conclusive uh, eyewitness accounts that uh, they were gray beings with big black eyes, three to four feet tall at the most, and like rubbery arms and legs, they were almost like dolls, and they apparently Mm -hmm. died after they were exposed to Earth's atmosphere. They couldn't breathe their atmosphere. They didn't show any visible uh, injuries, but they couldn't breathe. So uh, that's another race, and I don't think Eisenhower at any time met with them. They seem kind of like cold-blooded bio-robots is how they are described. Biological entities and yet kind of robotic or programmed. And that may be why no alien race came back for these bodies or their crash disc in Cape Girardeau or Roswell Mm -hmm. because they got these out of a factory or a cloning lab, and there's plenty more where that came from. Yes, that's the same thing that we would do when we're exploring deep space is to send out robots and things like that. And they have biological robots. Uh, When people say we're being visited, and I'm pretty sure we are, it's my opinion. We are being observed, and there's nothing you can do about it. They don't seem to be hostile. We're not going to be invaded, not now that we're full of disease and everyone's armed to the teeth. And uh, <laughs> uh, we have uh, uncovered a lot more disease as the uh, polar ice caps melt and the glaciers melt and expose more um, bacteria and germs. So it would be really foolish for an alien race to invade. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but today was supposed to be the day of the big alien invasion. Have you heard that story? Uh, There's a guy who claims to be a time traveler, and he's back from like the year 2200 or some business, and he said 2023 is going to be a tumultuous year. On March 23rd, that's when the aliens will land and do some destructive damage on Earth and take uh, several thousand of us uh, hostage back to their planet. And, of course, uh, uh, there's a few hours left today, yeah. <laughs> but I think we're pretty much in the clear. I think we can knock off the believability of that story. But, uh, in my opinion, almost all of the races that do come here look but don't touch, or when they do touch, they don't touch you for very long. They put people back. They're looking at the flora, the fauna, the different societies, civilizations, countries, races, uh, they make their report, and then they go back to their home planet. Uh, it's kind of like today uh, a scientist in America would get in a plane and fly to Africa and uh, take samples in the jungle or a swamp and mm-hmm. uh, plants and animals and write a report and get on a plane and fly back to his lab and issue his report. And it could be the same thing with uh, intelligent beings from another world. Uh, as someone once said, when you go to the zoo, you don't talk to the animals, do you? You just look. And uh, then you turn around, you maybe take some pictures, you turn around, you go home. So that may be uh, the motive behind uh, uh, what races do come here. If they have advanced space travel or can access uh, dimensions and come here in like a a heartbeat Mm -hmm. or on a flash of light or a beam of light or teleport here, there is no Star Trek-like long journey that takes five years and a whole crew of 430 crewmen, like Captain Kirk says, mm-hmm. that uh, this is done much quicker and by advanced methods that we are not able to grasp yet. But we're getting there. You know, 100 years ago, we were barely able to fly a Kitty Hawk, and now we've got our own space program. We've been to the moon. We send out uh, very advanced uh, technology to Mars, and we're, and we're recording that. And also, no sign of civilization there either. We'll see. I, I'll, I'll believe the Mars thing once we actually get a human there. Because there, there is, does seem to be some I'd wander around. anomalous stuff that you can't tell what it is by looking through a camera. I think sometimes you can't tell until there's actually boots on the ground. Well, there's a wild uh, theory going around that we are going to have the ability to colonize Mars by sending up... Um, technology that will create uh, the right atmospheric conditions with oxygen and then we'll start seeding the ground you know with Mm -hmm. plants and trees and maybe then bring up some animals and uh, we'll have a base there it's a very exciting sounding that they're saying this is very plausible Mm -hmm. so someday we will maybe have people on mars walking around and exploring more than what these cameras can see i'm a little skeptical now that there's anything more than rocks and dust, as we found on the moon, but maybe someday we'll uh, create a second Earth. Hmm. That's not in my lifetime, I don't think. <laughs> <clears throat> so, do you think that these extraterrestrials have been watching us from the beginning of time, the beginning of human civilization, or do you think that these started watching us as a result of us playing with nuclear missiles? I think it's very possible they have been here for thousands of years. Supposedly you hear the occasional government insider says the government's aware of this, that 
the theory is that they've been watching us for a long time. And I believe due to the atomic bombs creation mm-hmm. around the time of the 1941 UFO crash of Cape Girardeau, uh, visitation has accelerated. They're deeply concerned by the pollution of the planet from factories and cars and what we're doing to the atmosphere and nuclear weapons exploding and uh, radiation and chemicals going into the sea, the air, and even into outer space. That's their territory. That would cause them grave concern. And it makes sense uh, why they would come here. We're a fascinating race. We're getting more and more advanced. And I think uh, there's more people from other worlds coming here. Uh, I hope that there's a happy ending to all of this. Some people want disclosure. Uh, You and I may. Mm -hmm. And people in government may. But the official policy is to deny. I understand there could be a big... um, UAP hearing in Congress next month that'll uh, start delving into this because uh, Kirsten Gillibrand and others in Congress, including Marco Rubio, Republicans and Democrats alike, are not satisfied with the answers we're getting from the Pentagon and uh, from NASA. And they're going to start putting people under oath and maybe on live TV we'll get a few answers, at least what they're able to tell without violating any national security codes. Hmm. It'll be interesting if they if they do get this going. I wonder what national security codes they could be violating when these extraterrestrials have the power to dominate the entire planet, not just a country. <laughs> uh, if it is true that a small percentage of those coming here are not friendly, we can't tell people that, can we? Uh, that might genuinely cause a panic. That there are hostile ones who uh, would like to see us harm or mm-hmm. at least don't care about human life. And that may be uh, something that they don't want to reveal. U.S. presidents go on talk shows, uh, uh, Bush, Clinton, Obama, and uh, Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon and mm-hmm. Jimmy Kimmel will ask them point blank, okay, are we being visited? Uh, and uh, are, are we alone? Or uh, what about UFOs and aliens? And each time they get a flippant answer, and they won't give you a straight answer. And uh, maybe it was something along the lines of, well, I could tell you, but I'll have to kill you afterwards. Uh-huh. And uh, you can tell that they know plenty, and they're uh, bound by national security codes even after they're out of office, mm-hmm. and they're not going to tell you the juicy secrets. So uh, if there was nothing to it, they'd just say, ah, it's a bunch of baloney. Don't believe that. But they never do say there's nothing to it. You ever look into some of the other stories, like the ones like, how about astronauts, like Edgar Mitchell, for example? Who talks yeah, he about was it. really gung-ho on that subject. And good for him. Uh, he even, I think, conducted a ESP uh, experiment with mm-hmm. somebody on the moon to see if they could read his thoughts that he could transmit. I'm not sure how that came out. Uh, Gordon Cooper, I mentioned him in my Nixon book, was really gung-ho, had his own UFO sightings in the Air Force, and then he saw something uh, when he was in a capsule orbiting Earth in 63 or 4, I think, um, and uh, NBC had to cut his feed when he started describing this, this green orb that came closer and looked like it could be a craft. Uh, They cut him off, and he gave a speech to the uh, United Nations, a lot of people just glossed over this where he talks very openly that we are being visited and this needs to be explored and explained. And uh, that didn't raise much of a ripple. Uh, Gordon Cooper 
did his best. Uh, he's passed away now. Mm-hmm. And I found out that he was quite a Freemason, and so was Jackie Gleason. And guess who was invited to the Miami Golf Tournament February 19th, 1973? Gordon Cooper was there with Jackie. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, if you're wondering who could have escorted maybe Jackie that night, would have gotten the respect of the Air Force and have been allowed in an Air Force base, it's just speculation. But Gordon Cooper was around and golfing with his good buddy, and fellow Freemason. Uh, Jackie was said to be an advanced Freemason, so was Gordon Cooper, like 32nd degree, the, the highest uh, honors. And they're entrusted with uh, a lot of juicy secrets. Jackie just had to know everything. It's uh, good for him uh, to have a uh, an interest, a healthy interest, but he got obsessed with this, uh, you know, he's only human. And uh, I don't know, sometimes I think he found out more than he bargained for. I guess I, I I would have been like thrilled. I wouldn't have been yeah upset. But I, so that's one of the things I wonder. Like to me, there's still like this missing piece to the story about why yeah. he was so upset. Like I understand, like okay, he's upset because the, you know we're keep, you know, it's being kept secret from the public. However, I'm sure he also understood security reasons as to why it would be done. Also. So I wonder if there was just some, to me, there there must be something else he was upset about. That is my theory as well, that he saw four dead bodies. May have shaken them up a little, but they were harmless. They were dead. (laughs) How would that scare and upset you and and leave you ashen face? I think there was more that he saw. And did he tell his wife? And did his wife know but keep that out of the article? She was maybe frightened of... uh, Uh, saying that there was something more going on. There was a man named Frank Noon, I think his name was, allegedly, who wrote to MeTV.com, of all places, because they did a story on the Nixon-Gleason encounter, since Mm -hmm. Jackie Gleason and his honeymooner show is on MeTV. Every Sunday night at 11. If I can stay awake, I still watch to this day. But anyway, uh, Frank Noon said, it was my information, Jackie went to the base with Nixon uh, that the Air Force base hangar they went to is actually visible from a highway that runs by the base. They went in there, and he also saw a spaceship, that it was kind of a live spaceship, that it was up in the air and had to be tethered by cables Mm -hmm. uh, inside this Air Force hangar. I have no idea who this Frank Noon is and if he that's his real name and if he's just pulling a fast one, making stuff up. But the details he gave to me TV writing in on a commentary on the story uh, seemed to confirm Jackie was not only there but saw more than what Beverly Gleason wrote about and talked about. Hmm. Maybe that's it. Maybe the spacecrafts that they used to come here are made of organic technology rather than, you know, metals and things like that. Maybe he found that disturbing. Yeah, it could be. Uh, if he maybe even met some, I wouldn't put it past Nixon to say, you know, these are friendly aliens. Would you like to meet them? Yes, Jackie would have said. But the whole thing... I don't know, if you met friendly aliens, would you still be upset and ashen-faced and haggard? Yeah, so something more may have happened. I agree with you, Gary. Uh, It's tough to pin down. I wish we had a photograph, film footage, something like this, 
Uh, Beverly Gleason is still alive, but I can't find her, and she's getting close to 90. She's kept her mouth shut for uh, uh, 20 years now. She won't write a book and give interviews, so I asked another UFO researcher, can you find her? I can't find her, and he could not find her. She doesn't want to be bothered with this story. I think she may have told all that she knows, Mm -hmm. but did Jackie tell her all that he knew and saw? Uh, It's a great mystery. And I'll uh, give you a little teaser. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's my theory that there was someone else famous who may have been along for the ride and may have ponied up some dough to see the goods. Hmm. Uh, After this delicious glass of water here. Yeah, I can't imagine who this would be. On February 19th, Jackie had a golf partner. He rode around in his golf cart golfing with all day. And for the next four days. Bob Hope, his best friend in comedy. They were long-time golfing buddies, and they Mm -hmm. put up a lot of money. They would bet like tens of thousands of dollars on uh, who would win or who would hit this shot and win. Bob Hope was there, and he was good friends with Richard Nixon. And in the weeks after the the Nixon-Gleason encounter, uh, Nixon can be found on the White House tapes. He went to the White House a couple of times and spoke with Nixon, and the audio quality is terrible. Uh, Nixon hid these microphones in the White House and in his little office hidden away in the nearby executive office building. So Nixon was a financial contributor and a big Republican supporter. He was there that day on the Mm -hmm. golf course, and he had uh, a lot of money. Bob Hope, maybe Richard Gleason, was one of the wealthiest men in show business. And so in the months after this November or February of 73 encounter, Bob Hope went home and designed, custom-made his own UFO house. And you can see it to this day in Palm Springs, California. They call it Bob Hope's Spaceship House. He didn't live there very much. Hmm. He already had a couple other houses in Palm Springs, making you wonder why he had to custom-design this circular kind of spaceship. And it's perched on the edge of a cliff overlooking the valley below in Palm Springs. Now, what does this remind us of? And why would Bob Hope suddenly have a desire to do this, just like his good buddy Jackie in the months after the the Eisenhower encounter? So, uh, yeah, you can go online and look it up. It's it's still there. It's uh, there are pictures of it, and it's got a a circular hole at the top, and uh, it's it's a strange looking thing. And Bob Hope and his wife custom built this, custom designed it. They even ticked off the architect with so many demands. Uh, that he quit, and uh, at one point they were building the thing, and it mysteriously caught fire, and they didn't give up. They didn't abandon the project. They renewed their uh, interest and their uh, funding for it, and it got built, and it's still there. Hmm. Has there been any other stories coming from like the Bob Hope circle, or even from Richard the Richard Nixon um, people? Yeah, uh, Nixon it. pretty much clammed up. He was under national security codes as well. I don't know if he ever told anyone even a clue. Uh, and I did research Bob Hope. What about aliens? Did he have them in his sketches? Did he have books on them? I could not find any information, I'll admit. Uh, I'm suspicious that he may have either heard from Gleason uh, what happened that night or that Nixon picked him up or he was in the helicopter and went with Gleason and saw this in person. It's speculation, I fully confess. 
but the, the pieces of the puzzle seem to be there. Or why else would Bob Hope be so affected? He had to uh, specially design his own UFO house in the weeks and months afterward and build it in 73. He had plenty of other houses. And in fact, he lived in um, uh, Toluca Lake, California, most of the time. He had so much money to burn. He and Jackie would make millions off of movies every year, residuals, copyrighted comedy, TV shows, record albums, personal appearances, radio show appearances. They just raked in a fortune. They had money to uh, give to charity, and I'm sure they did a little of that, but to uh, support any whim they wanted. They, were, they lived like kings, and good for them. They, they produced their own material. They had some writers, but they were funny, talented men, both of them. And both very good dancers, by the way. Yeah. Wow. Um, is there any other, like, like, where, like, how, like, your your book, like, how does it kind of, like, like when you get toward the end of the story, like, how do you tie this all together? It may be that treaty, and that it mm -hmm. requires a president to go to an Air Force base at night and meet with some Friendly beings to renew this every year, every five years, every 20 years, I don't know. But uh, that's why Nixon had to be there anyway. And I think he just decided to take advantage of Gleason's free spending ways and invite him along and take him along. So I think it wraps up somewhat or continues the thread of the Eisenhower encounter, the Nixon encounter. It just can't be a coincidence that he went there. Uh, on February 19th. Now, I have a contact who has uh, higher contacts than I have ever had. He's got some big shots, including journalists and military people. And he said, uh, I asked him about this Nixon stuff, and I was a little skeptical when I asked. They got back to me and said, yes, the story is true. Nixon did go to Homestead Air Force Base, and he did uh, create a new agreement with a friendly race mm -hmm. that kind of capped or exceeded what his boss Eisenhower did earlier. Now, that I can't prove. I'm not making this story up. And I don't think my source is either. But it kind of confirms for me that this has been a worthwhile endeavor and it will be worthwhile for folks to read my book. I think it's going to come out in May from Foundations. We'll mm. see. I wish I had an exact date for you. But you can still read the Eisenhower Encounter from Foundations or get an audio book. They did a good job reading this at Tantor.com. Tantor Media as the audio version, and I hope to have an audio version of the Nixon book so uh, that everything will kind of tie together. And I make plenty of uh, references, a couple chapters on the connections between the Eisenhower and Nixon uh, uh, events uh, separated by 19 and 20 years. Hmm. Yeah, I'll definitely put those links too to your books, to your web, to the website, to get them in the notes of this episode for you. Um, one of the things I was just thinking, though, okay, why do you keep dead aliens around if yeah. you're making a treaty with aliens? <laughs> yeah. Um, Jackie didn't say that they were cut open, but he said, I think they were embalmed. So they were on examination tables in a kind of laboratory. And that's a good question you got there. Why were they there? Were they brought out to satisfy Jackie's curiosity, like taken out of cold storage or something? He said that he looked them over and uh, he didn't describe any injuries. And this may have been the quickest, easiest way without bringing in live aliens that Nixon could resolve Jackie's curiosity. But if it was a them? lab, you know, with uh, 
Like, why do you have dead aliens at the same place you're doing a treaty? Yeah. But here's what I'm just thinking. I'm thinking, like, maybe the aliens said, hey, we're going to give you some of our our corpses so you can... Yeah, that could be. See how we work. want to examine these and study them, as supposedly they do. Uh, Timothy Good is a famous British uh, UFO researcher. Mm -hmm. He had a military source who told him that we do have bodies and that the military kind of shuffles them around from base to base at times. To get different voices, different opinions, different tests, make sure the press and the public don't find out, almost like a shell game, and that uh, they take advantage of different opinions on this uh, top secret, sworn to secrecy type stuff. And I think uh, Homestead had a lab and was part of that. Now you'll say, I'd like to go there and see that lab to this day. Unfortunately, you can't. Uh, in the 1990s, a hurricane, I think it was Andrew, blew away that base. It just destroyed it. Mm-hmm. and uh, it lay fallow for a few years, and now they've rebuilt it as a kind of different Homestead Air Force Base. So if the bodies were there, they weren't shipped out before the hurricane hit. Uh, maybe they were swept out to sea or something long right. ago. Uh, uh, Jackie's house also uh, in the 1980s caught fire, and he lost some of it and had to rebuild. But that house is still there, and they've tried to keep all of Jackie's paraphernalia, his decor, and uh, it was up for sale uh, several thousand do- or million dollars, rather, uh, some years ago. But that's private uh, to the old Inverary Golf Course and uh, gated community. So you can't really go there either. And Nixon's house, he went uh, to this Key Biscayne house 55 times during his presidency. 55! Something was going on why he had to fly down the coast and stay in Key Biscayne after going in and out of Homestead over and over, a uh, short uh, helicopter ride from Cuba's King. That house was bought out by someone who had it bulldozed. You can't go there anymore. It's a gated, locked up community, high security, with a fancy uh, mansion, uh, oceanfront mansion there. So uh, it's frustrating all around hmm. to try to uh, visit anything. You can go to Jackie's uh, grave in a Catholic cemetery uh-huh. in uh, Miami. Uh, it's like a mausoleum, and on the steps leading up to uh, his uh, casket site, you know, buried within the concrete, it says, and away we go. And you know that's Jackie. That was his catchphrase. Right. Huh. It's great. It's a great story. You know, this, yeah. and, and I always thought that this was always a good piece of, I don't know, evidence or, or it was a great story that just says to me that the government knows, you know. Yeah. Because uh, uh, I, 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 I find it a credible story, is what I'm saying. Uh, if Beverly Gleason was uh, feeling guilty or ashamed, she never said something like, oh, I just made that up. She never changed her opinion. She never changed the story. Jackie refused to knock it down. They asked him over and over, what about the story your wife is telling? I have no comment. Hmm. So that, that tells you, again, that this is probably quite real. We'll probably never have hard proof, not in my lifetime anyway. But uh, it's a terrific tale. It dovetails with the Eisenhower story, as I mentioned. Yeah. And I'm uh, looking into President Reagan and what he saw and what he knew. I'd like to make this a trilogy of the three presidents, hmm. but uh, it's kind of tough. Uh, again, uh, you get little scraps of story, mm-hmm. bits and pieces. Uh, for instance, Lucille Ball went to, to a party that William Holden was holding in the 1950s. 
maybe 54, and said that Ronald Reagan came in, and he was also all excited and maybe a little ashen-faced. He was out of breath, and he said, I just saw a UFO. And, and Lucy was serious about this, and she told some other showbiz people this story. And that, uh, I don't know if Reagan was ever asked, but uh, no one's ever knocked it down. Mm -hmm. And uh, a clue to when it happened is that Lucy said Ricky was with me at the time. Well, they got a divorce in 1960 and didn't go to parties together after that. So that uh, William Holden, I looked it up, was a good friend of Lucy's and a good friend of Ronald Reagan's and held parties for the Reagan's from time to time. So a lot of these uh, factors hold together. And I think Reagan's curiosity was piqued by that incident and that he wanted to know more and looked into it when he was president. Wow. Yeah, yeah I, that would definitely be an interesting book, you know, with, with the UFO. And then there was, that was Nancy Reagan's fascination with the astrology and psychics. I told this story only to Linda Moulton Howe. And I'll tell you. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, it may be nothing. Mm -hmm. It may be just wacky. But I had a dream about six months ago that I was holding a notebook and taking notes and talking to people like in the afterlife. And Ronald Reagan stepped up to me wearing a suit, looking quite handsome. He says, I want you to remember this. I saw a UFO in Boise, Idaho. And he took my notebook and wrote it down and repeated. I said, he said, I'm going to write this down and repeat it to make sure you remember when you wake up. And I could see him writing this on this notebook. And I woke up. And I thought, that's ridiculous. Reagan was never in Boise, Idaho. And so I looked it up, and Reagan was in Boise, Idaho in the fall of 1985, just a couple months before he went to the summit with Gorbachev and brought mm -hmm. up the subject. What if we were threatened by aliens from another world? Oh, wow. And it says in his biographies that Reagan confounded and astonished his aides, which thought, who, who thought, you know, where did you get this from? And so I'm wondering if Reagan told me from the afterlife, as crazy as it sounds, uh -huh. that he had a UFO sighting in 1985, and that's what spurred he made speech after speech, <laughs> even to the UN, talking about a, an alien presence. Uh, what if we were threatened by uh, extraterrestrials? And he would he talked to a, a high school uh, in Maryland at a big pep rally, and he mentioned this again. Mm -hmm. All after this 1985 campaign visit he made to Boise, Idaho. So that's a spooky story. It's amazing. I'd love to think it's all quite true, but I can't find any um, uh, period uh, information from 1985, Boise. I wrote to uh, mm -hmm. Boise's uh, newspaper. And they said all of our staff are way too young to have been around in 1985, which seems like maybe to you and me like yesterday, but yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, they didn't have anything. I've looked up databases for uh, UFO sightings in the 1980s. In 1985, can't find anything. So I haven't found any confirmation yet. If anyone watching knows anything about this, uh, be sure to uh, write in or uh, contact on my Facebook pages. And uh, I have a Twitter page and Instagram, where uh, if you have a serious uh, story you'd like to tell, you could contact me there or go through uh, my website, which is www.mo41.info. All right. And I'm going to put those links also in the notes of this episode. 
No, th- this has been a great interview, and I that story was amazing. I can't believe you had a dream about that. that yeah, was um, that the first time that's happened to you, or no? Uh, I have to ask that last question. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, occasionally, I do dream of things that happen, like precognitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can give you an example. Uh, like uh, three, four months ago, I dreamed that my cousin and his wife were split up and not speaking to each other anymore and were headed for divorce. And within the last month, I found out to my shock, my cousin announced he split up with, from his wife. They are getting a divorce. <laughs> exactly what I was told in my dream hmm. and shown. And I don't know how to explain this. Now, in my Reagan dream, I saw him and he looked about maybe 45 or 50 wearing a suit and he was very warm and friendly. And uh, he wrote this down. I didn't uh, wake up with a piece of paper by my side Uh with this written down. I just uh, woke up from that dream and remembered it all. And uh, I'm thinking maybe he was serious. (laughs) And this really happened. So um, I don't know what to think. If um, someone has something to knock it down with, I did find some Reagan diaries uh, when he was president, and he talked about something unusual he saw as he was leaving Boise, Idaho in Air Force One. Mm. Uh, He could count five different forest fires going on in the ground all around uh, Boise. You know, it's heavily forested up there. If he said or wrote more, it was cut out of his diaries. But he was looking out of Air Force One, and he noticed these unusual fires going on, which who knows, maybe attracted an extraterrestrial race of right. observers that he also witnessed. But uh, it wasn't left in the official paperwork that was digitized and put online. You have to keep dreaming. You got you to go. <laughs> after this episode, you got to go to yeah. sleep and try to find yeah. out. <laughs> uh, some things will come true the next day. One time I dreamed of something that took six months and came true exactly as I uh, dreamed. Uh, mm-hmm. I was with my brother in 1987, and in uh, like April 1st, it wasn't an April Fool's Day joke, I dreamed my beloved St. Louis Cardinals, you see the pennant, mm-hmm. were lining up on the sidelines for the national anthem in San Francisco at Candlestick Park for the playoffs. I told this to my brother, and he said, that's ridiculous. The Giants haven't been in the playoffs in 15 years. That's a stupid dream. We were together six months later when the Cardinals were on TV, lining up on the sidelines at Candlestick Park, exactly as I dreamed six months before. And I remember, uh, I remember telling this, you know, I reminded my brother, he said, oh, my gosh, you did say that. And he was, oh, my, that's spooky. And I don't know how to explain this, that sometimes things happen as I have dreamed and other dreams, you know, just like anyone else, I dream of wacky, weird things, um, strange stuff. I can never reach my goals. I'm very frustrated. But in others, um, I haven't really met any aliens, but uh, I'm open to more information. If, <laughs> when I'm sleeping, uh, the point is to try to remember when you wake up. Yeah. And Reagan was very specific about that. I want to repeat this, he said. Uh, and even write it down here for you so you'll remember when you wake up. And that's when I woke up and I thought, oh, my gosh, what an unusual dream. But I was skeptical at first. I thought, there's nothing to this. But there was a trip to Boise just before he started speaking publicly about UFOs and extraterrestrials possibly visiting here. So the whole thing kind of makes sense. 
It does make sense. Sounds like you had a visit from Ryle Dragon in your dream. Yeah, I, I, I certainly believe in the afterlife. It's the the, uh, the belief of all major religions that your soul survives the death of your body and that there's an afterlife. There's a place for us all in the next dimension. I understand scientists are now beginning to research dimensional uh, planes, and they think this could be... Uh, an explanation where we could go when we die, a higher plane or another uh, dimension where possibly we could make contact someday. It sounds pretty wild. Uh, that may happen, but I doubt in my lifetime. But uh, it is, from what I read, something seriously being explored right now. Yeah, we don't know what the limits of our consciousness are. That's right. Uh, we're finding out all kinds of stuff through space exploration, through science, and remember, like 150 years ago, we were all living in log cabins or crude homes, mm -hmm. and uh, there were no automobiles or, or airplanes. Uh, our science and technology have just exploded. And so uh, what was science fiction fantasy even as of 20, 30 years ago is starting to come true. Uh, all these uh, ideas of colonizing Mars, they're saying this is very possible. It's amazing. Yeah, technology and our, our ways of thinking is it grows exponentially. <laughs> yeah, and people with great imaginations and the ability mm -hmm. in science labs to start fleshing this out physically and with chemicals, with metals, with uh, technology that can blast off and break our gravitational field and go into space. Uh, it's just all amazing to me. Uh, I drive a car and I... Uh, I uh, can't uh, fly a plane. I've never seen a UFO. I make that clear to everyone. I'm not just going to make things up and say, yeah, I had my own uh, space uh, uh, sighting of a spaceman or something like that. No, I've never seen anything. I usually have my head down reading, writing, rewriting, editing, proofing. Mm -hmm. uh, I need to get out more. <laughs> uh, there was something on the Discovery Channel that mentioned uh, a guy in my own hometown here who saw and recorded with his cell phone this um, metallic-looking silver cube that was flying around in the sky on a street that I travel on every once in a while, every few days, really. And he saw this a few years ago, and it made the Discovery Channel. I'm thinking, well, he can see somebody, something, and why can't I? And uh, I'm on the same street, and I can't see you. So, yeah, there you go. That's life. I think all you have to do is want to see it and sit outside and look up at the sky and wait. <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of like standing on a street corner waiting for an accident to hope to see. But um, <laughs> there are people like Dr. Stephen Greer, I don't know how valid this is, that they think they can mentally send out good vibes in meditative state to extraterrestrials and invite them. And they say they've gotten results. Uh, there's a singer who went for this and said it happened to her. What was the name of that? Um, oh, gosh, I forget her name. Swift? Uh, she got her own, like, Discovery Channel show or Travel Channel or something like that. Uh, it didn't last too long. Mm. She's a singer. She's very lovely, dark-haired. I don't know. Oh, gosh. Uh, oh, well. with names. Uh, I've never tried that. I've never mentally attempted to, you know, come on down and let me see you. <laughs> Uh, I live in a city where a lot of city lights reflect in the sky, and you can't see barely anything but the, uh, the maybe one star and the moon at night. So uh, the chances of me seeing something 
uh, otherworldly seem pretty slim. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's I how wish I, my I, grandfather had seen this Cape Girardeau story, mm-hmm. and he was a judge in town, and he used to be city attorney of Cape Girardeau, and he would go out on cases with the police. And if he had been in that position in 1941, he probably would have known the whole story. But he switched jobs. He became a judge instead just before the uh, spaceship crash. And alas, uh, he never told me about it. Uh, not going to make anything up there either. He's passed away now. Yeah. And uh, my father said that he heard of all the people listed that I was writing about uh, in my book, but he did not hear the story either. But my stepmother said she heard the story of the spaceship crash in Cape Girardeau when she was in high school in mm. Cape in the 1960s. So that's uh, separate from all these other sources. Um, and my stepmother is definitely not the type to lie. She's not into this sort of thing. But she said, you know, I heard this story back in the 60s that, uh, you know, this is a real story in town. I read uh, other people who said, oh, I wish I had paid more attention to my grandparents. They used to talk about the Cape Girardeau UFO crash, matter of factly, mm-hmm. like it was just nothing to them. And I was a little kid at the time. Why didn't I pay more attention? I encountered that a number of times. So uh, if you do have a grandparent out there who has a story, you better listen up. Right? Yeah, there has to be some people out there still alive that, well, yeah, they have to be out there that would still be alive. Too. That uh, was there. One woman who said I was about 11 years old at the time of the 1941 crash. Mm-hmm. We lived on a farm not too far away. She said I didn't see it. But I heard the adults, and I distinctly remember them talking about this little spaceship and these little spacemen that crashed and died in this field. And uh, there was great excitement among these farm families discussing this. Even though people at the scene were sworn not to talk, you couldn't stop some folks. They talked about it anyway. She said, I remember that vividly from my childhood. So there's another example that it's not a made-up fable. I think the Cape Girardeau story holds water. I'm working on revising and updating my book on it all. I've got some little tidbits of new facts, and I hope to get that out later this year. All right. Yeah, we'll have to do That's a whole other episode. The, yeah, the, pre- sure is. the pre-Roswell stuff is a whole other thing. Yeah, when my book comes out, <laughs> we'll do another show. Yeah. So if I wanna... it's all right with you, I shouldn't presume to tell you what we're uh, going to do. <laughs> You're welcome on any time. Um, before we wrap it up, um, where are some of the best places for my listeners to find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook, like Cape Girardeau's 1941 UFO Crash, America's First. That's the name of one page. Uh, the Eisenhower-Nixon Encounters, that's another Facebook page. You can find me at Paul Blake Smith Author page. Uh, you can find me at Paul Blake Smith on Twitter and on Instagram. And on my website, uh, mo41.info, mo41. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, I'm also on LinkedIn for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, I like that too much, but uh, I am on the business site. Uh, I'm just a humble little author. You can find my books best, I think, at Amazon.com. I'm distressed to find out that my publisher for my first five books will be going under soon. So if you want uh, mm-hmm. any of my first five publications, you better hurry within the next uh, two months. Uh, they will be folding up shop. And that's another reason why I'm combining my first two books on the Cape Girardeau affair into one new one mm-hmm. uh, that I'll be uh, linking up with a new publisher, oh, good. So, uh, making it bigger, better, bolder than ever. 
Oh, wow. So that means your original prints might be worth more money now. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> in theory, if you live long enough, <laughs> especially if I'm signing them. Well, uh, that's a it's a good speculative theory, but I don't know about that. Oh, it could uh, happen. We'll be looking into getting those same books uh, linked up with a new publisher and continuing along that line, but maybe with a new cover and mm -hmm. adding a few things. But uh, we shall see. That's good. All right. Well, I will put those links. Send me the links that you want me to put in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on, and we'll definitely do this again when the next book comes out. And um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, it's been a lot of fun for me, too. I always enjoy talking to people who are interested in this that have, uh, like me, a little healthy skepticism, but they're open-minded and they want to hear more and learn more. I think that's the way the American public are, don't you? Well, I'm I think some are, yeah. I mean, me, I'm definitely not a skeptic. I, I totally yeah. am a believer in all this. I have encountered some people who say, uh, their minds are closed. I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to talk about it. And that's sad that there are some people who don't even want to think about it. But uh, that's life. There's different forms of uh, <laughs> education and uh, mindsets. And yeah. sometimes people grow and change. So uh, I hope all, all your viewers enjoy the show and are intrigued enough to get to uh, uh, hundreds of my books apiece <laughs> yeah. and uh, keep me alive in this crazy expensive world. Uh, you find out one important thing when you become a writer, you take a vow of poverty. Yeah. You don't get rich. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not a get rich scheme. That That's right. Sure. <laughs> uh, so thank you for having me on to talk about it. You're welcome. Thank you. And just hang on for one more moment while I play the outro. Recording stopped.